0: part one section four of a defense of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one the panpsychism of samuel butler section four chapter two the question now arises what of his immortality is this outcome of his supreme effort is one and only appearance as an individual does he scatter himself again in his descendants and find his immortality only in them has he come to nothing if he leaves no descendants now on butler's theory which identifies the individual with his own organism and his own parents he has no immortality of his own only a scattered and vicarious life after death in the persons of his descendants if he has any only a subjective immortality in the memory of posterity if he has had sufficient forcefulness to impress posterity in fact on butler's theory his chances of existing as an individual in the first place of ever being born at all depend on circumstances over which he has no control for all butlers belief that it is the clamouring of the unborn that is responsible for each individual existence so that the entire culpability of the enterprise rests with the unborn and no child has a right to blame its parents if the enterprise should turn out badly still as the potential parent can and frequently does turn a deaf ear to the clamouring the actual decision rests with him and his refusal or the mere accident of his death even if he is well-intentioned dooms untold millions of personalities to extinction the individual then has but one chance of existence to several million chances of extinction and he has no possible prospect of any immortality that counts and if we narrow him down to his bare achievements as an individual the small experience he acquires for himself in his short lifetime compared with his immense accumulations in the persons of his progenitors doesn't really amount to a row of pins so that existence itself when it does happen to him hardly seems worth the trouble of being born why all those tremendous labours of the generations for such a poor result why all those strivings and longings to be made manifest for such a pitiful appearance at the end if you say it is all for the race and not for the individual and that the individual only exists in and for the race that doesn't make the affair a bit more intelligible or a bit better in fact, it makes it worse, for we are sacrificing a reality, a poor, perishing reality, but still a reality for as long as it lasts to an abstraction. For what is the race but an abstraction, if it is not the sum of the individuals that compose it? And for the matter of that, races themselves are doomed ultimately to extinction. It may be so, and if it is so, we must bear it, for we cannot help it but we are only driven to the conclusion that it is so if we accept butler's view of personal identity or the view of all those persons who on this point at any rate are agreed to agree with him if it can be shown in the first place that the achievements of the individual are not quite so insignificant as has been made out and in the second place that so far from personal identity being dependent on memory and ultimately on organism memory and organism ultimately are dependent on personal identity to the extent that not the simplest fact of consciousness and not the simplest operation of building up a primordial germ-cell is possible without the presupposition of personal identity if further there is even the ghost of a reason for inferring in the absence of any other assignable cause that the mysterious thing we call personality behaves as we know causes do and can behave then though immortality will not follow as an absolutely certain conclusion how could it there will at least be a very strong presumption in its favour whether there will be evidence to satisfy the authority whom butler called any reasonable person is another thing people show their reasonableness in such different ways even from the foregoing brief review of the latest findings of psychoanalysis it must have been obvious that they are the corollary of the conclusions samuel butler drew from the processes of evolution it is not necessary to go over all that old ground again in order to point out the correlations the reader cannot have failed to identify that need or want which butler traces for us as the spring of all evolution with the will to live the libido which the psychoanalysts have traced for us as the source of all life and the spring of sublimation only when it comes to the relative value of racial and individual qualities of unconscious and of conscious being do the psychoanalysts part company with samuel butler first of all then if they did not openly declare the supreme importance of the individual they showed us that his grown-up individuality be its quality what it may is a far more highly sublimated thing than the bundle of racial functions and qualities he inherits to say that i am inferior to my own grandmother as i very well may be simply means that my grandmother was a superior individual that is to say that the functions and qualities that distinguished her from her progenitors had a higher sublimative value than the functions and qualities that distinguish me not that the functions and qualities she in common with all my other ancestors bequeathed to me are more highly sublimated than mine yet wretched individual that i am coarse where she was fine most stupid where she was most intelligent ungraceful and unlovely where she was all grace and all beauty still by the one fact that i refuse to be submerged by my racial qualities and functions that i lifted my head above the generations and added another living being another desire another will another experience to the sum of human experiences by the mere fact that after all here i am playing my part and not any of their parts i prove the superiority as far as it goes of my sublimation besides if it comes to that who is to say whether these undesired and undesirable traits of mine are really mine and not part of my inheritance it is when i fall short of my part when i return on my path and go back to them or when i simply refuse to grow up and persist in being a child and not a very enterprising or intelligent or original child at that it is when in four words i resign my individuality that i become inferior and the one word for it is degeneration to be degenerate is to fail to add the priceless gift of individuality to the achievement of the race therefore it seems an inappropriate word to apply to those very considerable individuals who have given their priceless gift in the form of genius however far they may have fallen short of the ethics of the family and the crowd and supposing this falling short to be a more frequent attribute of true genius than it actually is we may suppose that this failure in one direction is the price they have to pay for their supremacy in another and posterity that benefits by their loss should be the last to remember it against them as a matter of fact in spite of the efforts of biographers to fix it firmly in its mind posterity very seldom does remember it at all and if it comes to that what debt can the individual owe to the race that is greater than the debt the race owes to the individual what after all was the origin of our much valued much talked about racial characteristics the instinct of self sublimation the desire and subsequent effort of certain enterprising individuals to outdo themselves to be something that they are not yet something however small that their progenitors were not Think of the enterprise compared with foregoing enterprises, the daring originality of the creature that first improvised a stomach because it wanted one. Can you deny an individuality and all things considered a very startling individuality to that creature? And to go back to our much-valued, much-talked-about and possibly overrated progenitors, every single one of them was an individual once. And his value for posterity was chiefly his individuality if he only showed it in the choice he made of one female rather than another for his mate individuals in their successive and successful sublimations raise the primordial will to live from the level of mere need and want through the stages of desire to those supreme expressions of individuality love and will there is too much talk about the race the race is nothing but the sum of the individuals that compose and have composed it and will compose it not only so but without the individuality the very marked and eccentric individuality of individuals races and the race itself would not exist it is the outstanding individuals the sports that have been the pioneers of evolution they have enriched and raised the species by compelling it to adopt their characteristics and yet it looks as if in the welter of unconscious and subconscious memories and instincts the individual had little if anything that he could call his own he is dwarfed to utter insignificance by the immensity of his ancestral heritage but i do not think we have to choose between the views of the comparative value of the individual and the race and the comparative amounts of their respective debts to each other for we cannot separate them our problem is more fundamental we have to choose between a difficult i admit it is a very difficult theory of the continuous identity of one self in many organisms associated for a while with the equally continuous identity of many selves to one organism and a self-contradictory theory which insists on continuous memory as the clue to the mystery of the individual's past evolution and yet regards him as a momentary insignificant spark of consciousness struck out from the impact of the masses of rolled-up unconscious memories each individual in the series of generations that come together to form the masses being himself such a momentary insignificant spark at this rate continuous consciousness that is to say continuous memory vanishes from the whole performance between difficulty and self-contradiction there can be only one choice the alternative to the spark theory is not handicapped by any inherent contradiction the individual's heritage is his if we allow him not only that sense of need which lamarck and buffon allowed him and that little dose of judgment and reason which huber claimed for his insects and samuel butler claimed for all organisms but a little dose of selfhood over and above his sense of need over and above reason and judgment over and above memory the individual is not his heritage his heritage is his it is the stuff he works with and sublimates and transforms it is the ladder he has raised himself by the territory he has conquered or it is nothing there is of course that alternative can we justify our assumption that selfhood is over and above now there is a very strong consensus of opinion among psychologists and mental philosophers that personal identity does depend and depend absolutely upon memory so strong that i have considerable qualms about putting forth any opinion that runs counter to that consensus it is strongest among those who like mr william james Monsieur bergson and mr mcdougall by no means regard mind as entirely dependent on its physical basis it is upheld by arguments that appear at first sight to be unanswerable and that on no theory should be lightly set aside so far i have been going all along on the assumption that we conceive personal identity as something which whatever its ultimate nature may be holds consciousness together we must not assume the thing we have got to prove so we cannot take for granted that what we call personal identity amounts to anything we can think of as a substance or a self or a soul or as a being in any way separate from and independent of consciousness for all we know it may be no more than the relation of each conscious state to another and to the whole we take the term as equivalent to the unity of consciousness consciousness certainly appears to be a unity whether there be a self to make it one or no we have nothing immediately before us but states of consciousness yet they appear to arrive in a certain order and to hang together with a certain cohesion of their own describe consciousness in terms deliberately chosen so as to exclude the personality we must not take for granted say that its states are only fortuitously associated still association involves perhaps i ought to say constitutes a certain unity say that consciousness is nothing but a stream and that though it appears to have islands in it the islands are really only part of the stream still the stream would not be a stream if it had not a certain unity it must be borne in mind that for all we are justified in saying about it beforehand this unity may be nothing more than the relation of states of consciousness among themselves but when we have reduced consciousness to the simplest the least assuming terms we have still this unity to reckon with even if the dream of professor huxley came true and the mechanical equivalent of consciousness were found to-morrow even if consciousness were proved to be nothing but a strange illusory by-product of the brain the queer spectral illusion of its unity would still confront us and here is my opponent's main argument how on any theory of consciousness could these appearances be kept up without memory if as impressions supervened on impression to take consciousness at its lowest each were instantly effaced if we forgot our states of consciousness i mean if consciousness forgot its states as fast as they occurred that is to say if consciousness kept on continually forgetting itself if there were no sort of even illusory registration anywhere what becomes of even that illusory unity and what on earth becomes of personal identity supposing there was such a thing anyway if we could never remember anything that happened to us we might just as well not exist at all for we should never be conscious of our existence personal identity may or may not be provable but without memory it is unthinkable. I hope the adherents of memory as the presupposition of personal identity will not find fault with this way of putting it. I do not think it is an unfair statement of their position. I do not want to weaken their position in order to have the poor pleasure of demolishing it. It is not at all easy to demolish. And perhaps it is I and not they who are responsible for the only palpable flaw in it the ultimate argument ad hominem, for it is clear that we might exist without being in the least aware of our existence. In fact, that is the way most of us do exist. It may even be the only terms on which it is possible for us to exist at all. I think there is something in the point, but let it pass. Let the case stand without it. Personal identity may or may not be provable. Without memory it is unthinkable. But is it? it may be that neither is possible or at any rate actual without the other but thinkable if you can prove the existence of personal identity of a self a soul a principle call it what you like that is conscious but is not consciousness that is inseparably present to all its states of consciousness and identifiable with none of them unless it be with the act of will i will undertake to think it you say you can only prove it from consciousness that is to say from memory perhaps very likely but that is only saying that it is dependent on memory for its consciousness its mode of existence not that it is dependent on memory for existence itself we have just seen how samuel butler landed himself in the very bosom of the progenitors he abhorred as well as in a certain amount of self-contradiction just because he would insist on identifying personality with memory even the plain man to whose common sense he was always appealing could have told him better than that for the plain man does not place his identity in the fact that such and such things happen to him at such and such a date but that at such and such a date they happen to him to such and such a person the whole point and poignancy of their happening and of his remembering them is that they happened to him and not to another and that he and not another remembered them the plain man very properly assumes that he has a self that he personally was present at such and such dates that he is personally present to each state of consciousness as it arises and to the piling up of each state on another and to the whole if you choose to say that he himself is only another bit of consciousness added to the pile that the affirmation of self-consciousness comes forever and from moment to moment to the top that is a theory like another but i do not think it is a very good theory because it overlooks the fact that he was at the bottom too and went through all the layers and most certainly the plain man would have none of it but let us say that personal identity presupposes memory and is dependent on it then it follows rigorously that whenever we forget our personal identity ceases it goes out for long hours together in deep sleep when we have no memory and no consciousness at all and it comes to life again with the return of consciousness and memory i am afraid i do not see anything in the theory of its independent existence half so unthinkable as the recurrent miracle of its death and resurrection let alone the inconvenience of not knowing whether it is we who have come back and not somebody else if you say we do know because the revived memories are the same and that we have no other means of knowing the answer is that in the first place we do not know that they are the same and in the second place that they are not the same for even in continuous memory all we get is a succession and a synthesis of states a memory of a memory and identity of them there is none sleep has so divided today's unity of consciousness from yesterday's that to talk about identity of states is absurd so it looks as if memory and unity of consciousness so far from constituting personal identity depended abjectedly upon it and are we so very sure that personal identity is unthinkable without memory i do not mean merely inconceivable or unimaginable i suppose for that matter we can conceive or imagine or present to ourselves any state of consciousness as existing independently of any other or the whole of consciousness as existing without anything to hold it together in fact, it is in this self-sufficiency that consciousness does present itself immediately and before reflection. By ruling out all presuppositions of thinking, we may and do conceive it so, and many philosophers have refused to conceive it otherwise. In the end, it must be shown that personal identity is more than a presupposition of our thinking if we are to avoid the fallacy of concluding that what is first in thought is necessarily first in existence it must be what kant called a Voraussetzung der Erfahrung, a presupposition of experience something without which experience would not be what it is or what it appears to be but for the moment let us suppose that personal identity is unthinkable without memory with what memories or memory did our conscious life then begin say that it started with unconscious memory the heritage well and good but for consciousness that is the same thing as starting with no memory at all to all intents and purposes i or if you prefer it my conscious states start with an absolute blank behind as well as before them in this case it will be truly my body that remembers and not i or they and though its memories will affect very profoundly my conscious states when they do arise out of the blank for me or for consciousness they do not exist nor can they exist on the theory of unconscious memory or on any theory that precludes personal identity that is to say the existence of a self before memory we saw that the heritage itself the instinct the knowledge made perfect through long ages of practice all that we have learned to call unconscious memory is meaningless unless it has once been conscious and would be utterly useless to us if it were not our memory we saw that is to say that our past consciousness likewise presupposes personal identity a self i admit that the argument from forgotten memory cuts both ways but when we consider that our conscious life the life of each individual in the series began with a forgetting and that in order to know perfectly we must know how to forget perfectly it looks as if the argument that presupposes memory has if anything the more dangerous edge and if to avoid both edges we turn for safety to the obvious alternative that memory and selfhood or that memory and consciousness are neither afore nor after another but simultaneous and mutually dependent consciousness becoming memory before we are conscious of it we are faced again with the annihilating fact of forgetting all these dangers and dilemmas are avoided if we do but put selfhood where the plain man puts it and where our everyday thinking puts it first end of part 1 recording by expatriate in bangor maine